I don't know why you wouldn't want to move up front. I can see better. But some people, they don't want to get too close because uh, I don't know why. But we'll figure it out. All right. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm giving them a hard time. All right. Everybody all right tonight? Is God good? I, I have the joy of the Lord. I really do. And I have such peace. And uh, God is good. I'm excited about what he's doing. Um, amen. So tonight we're going to look at another name for God. Let's stand together and we're going to read one verse. And we're going to look tonight at Jehovah Nissi. Jehovah Nissi. All right, let's read it together, can we? And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah my banner. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God tonight. We thank you, Lord, that you are with us and that you're speaking to us. And we thank you, Lord, there's power in these names, the names by which you have revealed yourself. We pray that tonight you will give each person personal revelation and understanding so that we can be built up in the faith and better understand our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, good to see you tonight. God bless you. Can everybody see this all right? Okay. Last time we looked at the covenant name for God. This is last time. Jehovah Rophi, the Lord my healer. Now this was the name given to God by Moses at Marah, the place of bitter waters. Only a few weeks had elapsed from the time the children of Israel left Marah till they reached Rephidim. Can you all say Rephidim with me? Now Rephidim is the scene of Jehovah's revelation of himself to them as Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah my banner. The children of Israel had gone from Marah to Elam. Now I love these places where they stopped because every one of them has meaning. And so look at this little journey of theirs uh, as they go through the wilderness. The children of Israel had first gone from Marah, the place of bitter water, to Elam, the place of refreshing and rest. From there they journeyed to the wilderness of Sin, where they murmured against Moses because there was no food. And it was at this juncture that God began to feed them with manna. Now, I learn a lot from these things, and I want to just bring to your remembrance that um, these names, why are we looking at these names? Because God is revealed. He's never discovered. You don't go find God, and I'll tell you why we as human beings don't find God. God finds us. Here's why. The Bible says God is spirit. He is a spirit being. He does not have flesh and blood like you and me. He's not a human being. He is almighty God. He is spirit. Now, we are encased in a body uh, with five senses. Touch, hearing, sight, taste, and smell. And that's the five senses we've got. And if it doesn't come in to us by way of the five senses, we just don't have good vision at all. If we can't discover it with the five senses, it's virtually undiscoverable. So you don't go find God. God finds you. Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. God is revealed. He's not discovered. 
So how does he reveal himself? Well, he reveals to himself in, or himself in many ways. I mean, he manifests himself to us by his Spirit, who is poured out abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, who is given to us. But also, God has revealed who he is through the names he's revealed in Scripture. We've looked at uh, Jehovah. We've looked at Elohim. We've looked at Adonai. We've looked at all these names by which God revealed himself. So it's almost like God says, let me introduce you to myself. Here's my name. And so tonight, we're on yet another name for God. And uh, it's the seventh one that we've looked at. And now he's saying, I am Jehovah Nissi. I'm your banner. Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, we're about to find out tonight. Next they came to Rephidim where there was no water. Now here they are, no food. Then they murmur and complain and God gives them the manna. But now they come to Rephidim where there was no water. Now at Marah, the waters were bitter. But in Rephidim, there was no water at all. Forget bitter, there wasn't any. And look what it says. And the people thirsted there for water. Now, keep in mind, they've had many miracles up to this point. They've watched plague after plague fall upon the Egyptians. They're finally delivered supernaturally as Moses stretched out that rod and released plague after plague on the Egyptians. They're delivered. They come to the Red Sea. Moses holds out that rod and the Red Sea parts. They cross, as it were, on dry land. Then when the last child of Israel walks over, they turn around. When the last one is through and the waters come back in on Pharaoh and all of his armies and their enemies are wiped out all by the hand of God. They've seen all of this. They've seen Moses strike the rock. They have seen Moses put a piece of wood into bitter water and the water was made sweet. Miracle after miracle. But I want you to notice something. They forgot all of it. Notice how often they forgot what God had done. Forgotten was the incredible passage across the Red Sea, the drowning of Pharaoh and his armies. Forgotten was the miraculous healing of Mara's waters. Forgotten was the supernatural provision of manna each and every day. Instead, they questioned God's goodness and presence. Have you noticed that we tend to remember what we ought to forget? And have you noticed we forget what we ought to remember? Isn't it easy to remember a grudge or a hurt or a wrong? But when it comes to the blessings of God, for some reason, our minds just kind of push them to the side. And when we come up against a trial, we forget what God has done. And that's what they're doing here. Now here's just a little nugget of spiritual truth. It is in the place of great need that what we have learned or not learned about God is revealed. God doesn't need to find out what's in you and me. He already knows what's in you and me. It's not like when we lose our temper, God goes, whoa, I didn't know that was there. God knows what's in you and me. He wants you and me to see what's in you and me. So it's in the place of great need, a crisis, a trial, a test, where what we have learned about God or not learned about God is revealed. Very important. God, I tell you, you look at these people for 40 years, he over and over again is trying to teach them basic stuff. Trust me, obey me, follow me, 
trust me, obey me, follow me. And they fail, and they fail, and they fail. Here they are again, and look what they say to God and to each other. Is the Lord among us or not? It was at this very spot, out of a rock in the place called Horeb, that same rock that Paul tells us was Christ in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4, that God caused waters to spring forth to quench the multitude's thirst out of a rock. So instead of saying this, well, we've been here before. This isn't my first rodeo. And I know that God provided before and he's going to provide now. I wish they said that. They wish they'd said that. But they didn't have it in them. So they just said, where is God? Is God among us? Does he care about us? Does he even know? And even at that, God in his mercy still blessed them and provided for them. How many times has God provided for you and me when our attitudes were terrible? He just did it because he's good and he's merciful. But we were not God's man of faith and power for the hour. Amen? Now, next, after Rephidim followed the experience that brought about Jehovah's revelation of himself to his people as Jehovah Nissi. Here's how it happened. They suddenly learned that there were worse enemies than hunger and thirst. For at Rephidim, they were attacked by the Amalekites. The Bible says, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Now, these Amalekites are very important to the story of Jehovah Nissi. So let's look at who they were, because this is really is a great story. The Amalekites were the descendants of Amalek, a grandson of Esau. We are told uh, in Genesis 36, 12. Now, that makes them, the Amalekites, direct descendants of Isaac. Yet they became the persistent and hereditary enemies of Israel, a thorn in their flesh, and a constant menace to their spiritual and national life. They were numerous and they were powerful people. And rather than help Israel in their struggle through the wilderness, they treated them in a cruel and a cowardly fashion. Moses wrote about it years later, and he gives us an idea of what they did to the children of Israel when they found them in the place called Rephidim. He says, Remember what Amalek did to you, by the way, as you came out of Egypt when you were weary and worn out. They met you on your journey and cut off all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. Now here's a million people. They're going through the wilderness. They have not been delivered across the Red Sea for very long at all. The first thing they dealt with is thirst and then hunger and then thirst. They're dealing with just natural needs. They're tired. They are in culture shock. I mean, all they've known is Egypt. Even though it was enslavement, that's still all they'd ever known. Now here they are out in the wilderness, a place they've never been before, following a cloud by day, a fire by night, following this man Moses, who they have only met as the one who released the plagues upon the Egyptians. And all of a sudden, they are encountered by a mighty army of people, the Amalekites, vicious barbarians. And the Bible tells us here that the Amalekites acted just like wolves do. A wolf will get behind a flock of sheep 
and follow along behind it. And when the weaker sheep drops behind that can't keep up with the herd, the wolf moves in, nips at its heels until its ankles and feet are bleeding. And finally, that little lamb will drop and the wolves move in for the kill. The Amalekites waited for the children of Israel who were weak, who did not have the energy to keep up with the rest, and took them down like cowards. Moses said, remember that. And I want you to notice when the enemy attacked. The enemy attacked when they were tired. The enemy attacked when they were weary. And you got to remember this, the devil is never going to attack you and me when we're at our best, when we're shining, when we've had great sleep and great times in the Word. The enemy invariably acts just like this. He waits until we're tired. Have you ever noticed everything looks worse when you're tired? Have you noticed that when you're rested, your faith goes up? When you're tired, your faith goes down. And the enemy's tactic is to get you run down, run out, burned out, tired, and that's when he moves in for the kill, moves in for his attack. Now, Moses says, I don't want you to forget these Amalekites. This is what they did. Now, God further moved on Moses to write in a book these words, quote, For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Jehovah has sworn that Jehovah will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now, I want you to remember I told you something tonight. Always remember this. When the enemy attacks you, here's how God sees it. He just attacked me. And if a person attacks you unjustly and unfairly, you turn them over to God because God sees it and God will fight for you. Here's these Amalekites attacking the children of Israel viciously and unfairly, barbarically, and God says, from generation and generation. I'm never going to forget what you did. You're on my hit list. You better watch before you ever mess with God's anointed. And I consider all of God's children God's anointed. Amen? Can you say with me, I'm anointed? Well, that wasn't very convincing. Let's convince the radio audience we believe that. Are you God's anointed? Yes, you are. Yeah. Well, I'm not behind a pulpit. I'm not up there. That doesn't matter. The anointing you have received abides in you, John said, and it teaches you all things. And Jesus said he'll bring to your remembrance everything that I've spoken to you. So you have an anointing from God. Well, if you're carrying an anointing from God, you must be God's anointed. Okay? Now, centuries later, Samuel gave to King Saul the commission from Jehovah. You remember this? to utterly destroy the Amalekites with all their possessions so that not a trace of them or uh, theirs should remain. Not a trace of them or theirs would remain. Now this was the deal breaker for King Saul because you remember Saul did not do it. He did not obey and his failure to carry out the command to destroy Amalek led to the loss of his kingdom and to his death. From the time that Saul refused to obey God in destroying the Amalekites, it's a downhill slide. Samuel comes up to him and says, what are you doing? I told you. I told you to kill everything they had. I told you to wipe them out, every memory of them. Well, you know, and he starts making excuses why he didn't do it fully. And, and Samuel said, you've lost the kingdom. 
because I told you to take them all out. And this is the way God felt about Amalek and the Amalekites. They were the enemies of God. Now watch this. When Saul lay mortally wounded on the battlefield of Mount Gilboa, a young man, a stranger, came to him. Saul urgently requested this young man to put an end to him, for he knew he could not live and did not wish to fall into the hands of the Philistines while yet alive because they would have tortured him. In a bitter irony, this young man was an Amalekite. The sinful thing which Saul had spared now returned to slay him. Now I want you to read the nugget with me, would you? Here's a spiritual nugget, never forget this. Ready? What we don't obey God, what we don't obey God in doing away with in our own lives may one day arise to do away with us. When God tells you, I want that habit to go, now I'm not, you know, this is not all that God's about. God is not an out to get you God. Unless you want to talk about he's out to get you blessed. He's out to get you healed. He's out to get you whole. So the only time God ever says to you and me, I want you to put something aside, is because he's out to get you blessed. And he sees that whatever it is he wants you to put out of your life is hindering his ability to bless you. But when God says, that's got to go, and you don't do it, and you flirt with it, and you keep it around, and you don't deal with it, and time goes by, that very thing may turn around and bring you down. And that's what happened here, Saul and the, the Amalekites. If he had done what Samuel said, there would have been nobody there. Powerful stuff. Say, oh me, or amen. Now finally, under King Hezekiah, the command was carried out. Finally, Scripture says the rest of the Amalekites that were escaped were smitten, and you can find that out in 1 Chron Chronicles uh, chapter 4. Now let's move on. At the time of Israel's encounter with the Amalekites in the wilderness, the Amalekites were living with their flocks and herds in the vicinity of Rephidim, and there went that, that one. All right. Now, moved by jealousy and fear, they opposed the children of Israel, this huge multitude in the wilderness. And they were determined to prevent their passage through the wilderness to the promised land. They had it in them. These people are not going to make it to the promised land. And they rose up against them. They opposed the purpose and plan of God. At first, they carried out a sort of harassing guerrilla campaign against Israel, but then they came against them in open battle. Now, I want you to catch this, because the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. What you have in the Old Testament, and you've got to know this about your Bible, is you have types and shadows and symbols and foreshadowings of spiritual truth that is coming in the New Covenant. Are you with me? There are echoes and, and forecasts of what is coming in the new covenant in a spiritual form. Our promised land is not earthly geography. Our promised land is the kingdom of God. And I want you to notice that on their way to the physical promised land, a very strong enemy rose up to stop them from obtaining the promises. He said, you're not going in. 
we're going to see to it you do not enjoy that fruit that milk and that honey we're going to try to stop you if we can now here's the spiritual nugget number three on the way to the promised land there will always lurk enemies who don't want to see you succeed and that's just the fact can't get around it I wish it were not true but it is but you know what these attacks do everybody when the enemy attacks you when you're headed for your promises it strengthens you it gives you what you're going to need when you reach your destination you may not like it but you know I like cycling Steve and I like to bike ride we we cycle and he's gone further distances than me but one day I'm gonna catch him and pass him all right but no we like to cycle now here's the deal we've noticed uh, as a matter of fact we've talked to each other uh, going up a hill sometimes we said going up this hill straining and pushing and pedaling hard to make it over this hill I said now this is like praying for a revival then you get to the top of the hill and wherever there's been a hill going up there's always one going down and when we go over the hill and go down and there's it's effortless and the the breeze is at your back I say this is the revival there's work going up there's blessing on the other side now it's the same thing when you're walking with God if you're in a fighting struggle with the devil and I mean every day you're pushing struggling having to pray having to get into the word you may not like it but it's putting muscles in your legs it's making you stronger it's strengthening your faith there's no testimony without a test and some moaning that's what a testimony is I'm being tested it's making me moan a test with some moaning but when I go to the other side I got me a testimony all right now that's that's what these enemies were supposed to do for Israel because why in the world would God allow these Amalekites these barbarians to be there why didn't he just take them out he wanted his people to learn to trust him all right now when they attacked them for war Israel rallied with great confidence and they defeated Amalek now in order to encourage Joshua and the people you'll probably remember this story Moses promised to take his position upon a hill with the rod of God in his hand now please pay close attention to this matter of fact let's read this together Exodus 17 verse 9 tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God Elohim in my hand now the Bible says that as long as Moses held up his hand Israel prevailed and when his hand was lowered Amalek prevailed the Bible says the battle went on so long Moses hands grew weary and so they reached down and they held up his hands so that the rod of God did not remain down they helped him hold it up now the rod of God in Moses hand was the same rod that had been held over the Red Sea when it parted that had smitten the rock when water came gushing out of it and had wrought the terrible plagues upon Egypt it was the rod of God's mighty hand and outstretched arm same rod when God said to Moses at the burning bush what's that in your hand oh it's my staff it's my rod God said throw it down and it became a serpent 
And God said, now pick it up by the tail. And he picked it up and it became a rod again. And God was showing him right then, I'm going to use that rod supernaturally. It's going to represent my authority and my power and my presence. It was in the context of victory through the power of the upheld rod that Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is My Banner. He called the name of the altar, The Lord is My Banner, after they had totally defeated the Amalekites by the rod being held up in the air. That's when he said, all right, here's the place. We're going to remember this. This is significant. I'm going to give God another name here. And it's Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner. And it was directly associated with the upheld rod, the rod of authority, the rod of power. Now, I want to talk to you tonight about this meaning of the upheld rod. There's so many nuggets of truth in this. Uh, it blessed me so much getting ready for this. Let me just share a few of them with you. First, what was a banner? When I say the Lord is my banner, you know what I think about? I think about a football game and, and flags and, and a, um, oh, I don't know, those, uh, what do you call them? You, you run with them and banners with the team's name written on them and the colors and all of That's what I think of. But that's not an Old Testament banner. In ancient times, a banner was not a flag as we know it today. It was often a bare pole with a bright shining ornament that glittered in the sun. The word for banner means to glisten. Very, very important. The word in the Hebrew is translated pole, ensign, standard, and among the Jews it's also a word for miracle. Miracle. The upheld banner was a signal to God's people to rally to him when they saw a raised banner, all right? It was a sign of deliverance and of salvation. For instance, the psalmist used this same word when he said, Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. Same word for banner. So the rod of Elohim in Moses' upraised hand was God's banner over them, a symbol of his light, his power, and his presence with them. Very important. Now the second thing, the upheld rod sharply emphasized and impressed upon Israel's soldiers that victory depended on God alone. That under his raised banner, victory was assured. The rod was the symbol and pledge of his presence and power in battle. Very important. Let me tell you something, folks. I'm 54 years old now. I started preaching when I was uh, 19. I've been around a while. I feel good. I feel like I'm in my best season right now. But let me tell you something I've learned. If God's not with you, don't touch it. If God's not with you in something, don't go there. I am so aware of our need, my need, your need, for the presence of God going with us in anything we undertake. If he can't be on it, in it, through it, all over it, I'm not touching it. Now, this is one thing that the banner taught these people. Think about this. They're fighting for their life. They're fighting for their national identity. They won't exist anymore except some of them would have gone on in slavery to the Amalekites. This is, this is everything here. Everything was in this battle. And they noticed, as long as that 
rod is held up, that banner, we prevail. But as soon as his hands get tired and he's not lifting it up anymore, we begin to fail. As long as it's lifted up, we succeed. If it's not lifted up, we fail. They began to see that victory was not by the strength of their flesh, but it was by God being with them. Okay? I mean, this is powerful truth here. I mean, they began to connect the dots. As soon as they started going down and losing, they looked. Moses' hands got heavy. He wasn't holding it up anymore. And then when they lifted up his Aaron and, and um, I forget the other one, Aaron and her, something like that, lifted up his arms, they said, we begin to win again. So there's something about that rod being lifted up that gives us the victory. Okay? Now the third nugget of truth about that upheld rod is Israel's battle with Amalek is a picture of our own struggle with the forces of darkness which stand opposed to Jehovah in all ages. Watch this. Think of the striking analogy. Israel had just been redeemed had, and been baptized in the cloud and in the sea. They had crossed over that Red Sea. They had partaken of that spiritual meat represented by the manna and they had drunk of that spiritual rock which Paul says was Christ represented by the waters at Horeb. They had no sooner set out on their new spiritual journey when a fierce enemy attacked them. So it is with us. Paul said, for we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. We are in a battle. And did you notice that when you got saved, you experienced some problems you never had before you were saved? Because no sooner do you get across that Red Sea, no sooner do you get water baptized and give your life to Christ, the enemy comes after you. And we got to learn the lessons that are in this name, that the Lord is our banner. He is our victory. And as long as we lift him up, we will have the victory. And if we cease lifting him up, we're going to fail. I could just put the rest of this down and preach like a wild man having said that. Because I'm going to tell you what's wrong with the churches in America. They have copped out, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them, They've sold out to the culture. They have put the Word of God away. They have been embarrassed to preach Christ and salvation only through Him. They are not lifting Him up. And when you don't, as a body of believers, lift Him up, you begin to fail. The enemy comes in, begins to chip away at you, picks the weak ones off first, then gets the whole thing. And down you go. Folks, we are only as strong as the God among us. And the God among us is only as strong as we lift up His Son. And as long as we lift up that rod of authority, even Jesus Christ, we will have victory. But when we let it down, we will lose the battles. So I've got one message as we go over to I-35. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Because He is our victory. (laughs) 
Now watch this. The upheld rod, number four. The upheld rod shows our part in warfare. Consider the striking contrast between Israel's experience of the Red Sea and the experience with Amalek. Think about this with me. At the Red Sea, they were told to do nothing but stand there while Moses held out the rod. The Bible says, quote, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. That's what Moses told the people. Stand still. Don't do anything. This is going to be a God thing. And you're going to see the salvation of the Lord. You just stand there. And as they stood there, while Pharaoh's chariots roared up behind them, Moses held out that rod, the rod of authority, the banner, and a strong east wind came and blew that sea apart. Walls of water on either side. And they walked across on dry land, a million people, donkeys, cattle, crying babies, mamas, grandparents, families, walked with glistening water on either side, looking at it. Oh, I hope God keeps that up. Come on, God. You talk about having your heart right. Forgive me for every sin I've ever committed or even thought about committing, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And across they went. And when the last one of them crossed over, what a drama. What an amazing sight. When the last one stepped over into the wilderness area, they turned and God took his hand off of it and the walls of water closed in and drowned their enemies. Think about that. In a flash, God took care of their enemies. And they didn't do anything but stand there. Now, that's because the Red Sea is a picture of our salvation, which is brought only by grace. We do nothing to secure it. It's all the work of Christ, not any works on our part. So what does God say when you say, Lord, forgive me? He says, you just stand there because I'm going to save you. I'm going to fill you with the Spirit. I'm going to wash you. I'm going to cleanse you. And I'm going to set you on the right path. I'm going to do it all. You're not going to do any of it. This is your salvation. And it's only by grace through faith. But now... At Rephidim, the people are told to fight. They were to fight the good fight of faith, which will be the experience of every serious believer. God was very, very clear, quote, choose us out men and go fight with Amalek. We are not saved by works, but we are saved for works and to a most serious warfare. So notice, in their being delivered, they didn't do a thing. But once they were delivered, and taken out of Egypt and were following God, they were called to fight. And that's the way it is with you and me. We've been saved, now we're called to fight. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. There's a bad one and there's a good one. The good fight is the fight of faith. Amen? Now here's the fifth thing. The upheld rod shows that we will fail if we fight in our strength alone. When Moses' arms grew weary, the rod of God was lowered. The enemy then prevailed and Israel was pressed back. The rod of God was the symbol and the pledge of God's presence and power. Lord, it could not be seen. Sadly, Israel forgot this truth. You know how I know they forgot this truth? Because when they later tried to enter the promised land in disobedience to God, when they had listened to the bad report of the ten spies and they realized that God wasn't going to let them cross over, 
They said, oh, no, oh, no, we blew it. We shouldn't have listened to what the, the negative report said. Let's go on over in the promised land. And on their own, they started to go over. And look what God says. God said, don't you go up, for Jehovah's not among you. And they were defeated, totally defeated by the Amalekites. This is why in the new covenant we must be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Not anything has changed. If you're going to be in a battle, be sure that God's in it with you. Fight a good fight. He's not with you in any bad fight. He's with you in a good fight. Fighting your spouse, he ain't with you. Come on, everybody. Bad English, I use it on purpose. Good preaching. Okay? But if it's a good fight, fight of faith, God's with you. Now, the sixth thing about the upheld rod, assured victory to God's people. Before every battle of olden days, the priest would approach the people in behalf of God and would say, let's read it together, can we? Hear, O Israel, you approach this day to battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint, fear not, and do not tremble. Neither be terrified because of them. For Jehovah your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Hallelujah. Our God fights for us, and we hold our peace. Amen? Now here's the seventh reason. Think about the upheld rod. Moses' rod was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah predicted that a rod shall come forth from the stem of Jesse. Jesse was King David's father. Jesus came from the lineage of David. And what did God call Jesus? A rod. Jesus himself said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now watch this truth. Here's where Old Testament types and shadows encounters New Testament truth. When Jesus was lifted up on the cross, the power of the enemy was defeated. Okay? Jesus hanging on that cross, lifted up above the crowds, visible for all to see, the ultimate defeat of Satan, of which Moses' rod was only a type and shadow, was fulfilled. And Jesus is also the banner of our daily warfare. Jesus said, but I, when I am what, everybody? Lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. I've noticed powerful things happen when you lift up the name of Jesus. People are drawn to it when you lift up the name of Jesus. And when you lift up the name of Jesus in your own personal life, the enemy is defeated when Jesus receives preeminence in your life. Now let's stand up together, can we? As long as we lift up Jesus Christ, His power, blessing, favor, and victory shall be ours. With Jehovah Jesus, amen, I like that, Jehovah Jesus, our banner, we may go from strength to strength and faith to faith. We can say with Paul, let's read it together. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ and always causes us to triumph in Christ. Amen. And when does that happen? When he's lifted up. Woe to the churches that are afraid to preach Jesus. Woe to them because there's no protection. Amen. I'm going to lift him up. Are you ready to lift him up? I'm not ashamed of him 
nor of his gospel. It's the power of God to salvation to everybody who believes. Amen? Father, we thank you for our banner, the rod of Jesse, even the Lord Jesus Christ, who was lifted up on that cross, high and lifted up, as Moses lifted up the rod in the wilderness. Jesus was lifted up on that cross where all could see. And there, Lord, when he was lifted up, the enemy was defeated. And when he's lifted up in our lives, the enemy is defeated. So help us, Lord, to lift up the name of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, for the power and the victory that is ours through that name. In Jesus' mighty name. Let's sing that name right now. He is our banner. Amen. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus.